electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, live from separate locations. Faber has the morning off. Uh, get ready for a packed week. Earnings kick into second gear. Uh, IBM tonight. Congress gets back to work on an extension of economic support. We've got some vaccine data, some oil M&A. In fact, we'll talk to Chevron's Mike Worth. Uh, this hour on the company's purchase of Noble Energy. Jim, I was going to ask you whether or not we should be focused on the vaccine news or talks on more stimulus. It'd be nice to get both. Yeah, look, I think that uh, Oxford is ahead. That's what we understand. Uh, This AstraZeneca Oxford. I do say that there is, at this point, Carl, you get the Pfizer news about Germany. The speculation that's going on, all you got to do is watch what we call the crawl underneath. You'll see Novavax. There'll be endless buying. There are things like Vaccine Inc. Uh, I am seeing buying of Glaxo. <laughs> I mean, look, I think that people want to calm down. Uh, I have Sorrento tonight. That thing's flying. Not all news is good. There are 100 companies doing vaccines. Let's take a breath uh, because there are other things going on besides vaccines, including the stimulus, which is needed if the vaccines fail. Yeah, although, you know, Jim, the analysts, it's not like they're discouraging traders or investors from trying to play the vaccine race. Uh, JPM cuts Moderna today right after a big run. Credit Suisse ups Gilead. Um, So, I mean, no one's preaching a message of slow and steady wins the race here. No, that's true. Moderna's up so much. Uh, Novavax just continually up. There are people who love these stuff. We have uh, Mark Cuban has some great comments, Carl. There are people who have come to this market. Now, initially, we're in the early phase of this, but there are people who cannot resist. When I get up at 4, uh, 3.30, they're in there buying these stocks. I don't know who these people are, but they're having the time of their life, and I just hope that they take something off the table. Boy, do they ever hate that talk, Carl. They, they go to the casino and they're just constantly rolling the dice. Constantly. Because not all these companies are going to make uh, they're, they're not all going to hit uh, pay dirt. Right. And then we're still we're still awaiting Lancet, right? This right. news that we think we're going to get on Oxford AZN. Yeah, where the heck are they? I mean, yeah. Yeah, we thought it was supposed to be Sunday night. It was supposed to be this morning. They obviously are. um, They're not in tune with what we've uh, in the stock market where we're expecting something before the opening. Uh, uh, Look, Lancet's real good. That's where I first got turned on to how bad things could be. They're very editorial oriented. But uh, that said, uh, the Moderna downgrade, I think, is the most important thing because there's the possibility that not everything's going to come through. Look, I think Moderna, remember, has never developed anything to the uh, never taken anything in the market. the selling program, they augmented their selling program. They still have a lot. They get a lot of stock. The fact that they augmented their selling program is something that I would look at um, that I thought was ill-advised mm-hmm. because you don't do that if you're about to, to hit a home run. Right. 
And as we await, Jim, uh, more progress in uh, vaccine uh, trial data, uh, the debate continues over whether the policies we have in place are enough uh, in the interim. Uh, Scott Godley with the big op-ed in the journal talking about still six months in, not enough masks, not enough personal protection equipment, uh, not enough testing capability. You got the Surgeon General on Fox this morning, Jim, quote, the whole administration is now supportive of masks, which depending on how you read that quote, uh, might run afoul of what the president told Chris Wallace over the weekend. Here's what he said. I don't agree with the statement that if everybody wear a mask, everything disappears. Hey, Dr. Fauci said don't wear a mask. Our Surgeon General, terrific guy, said don't wear a mask. Everybody was saying don't wear a mask. All of a sudden, everybody's got to wear a mask. And as you know, masks cause problems, too. With that being said, I'm a believer in masks. I think masks are good. Jim, as we made a point last week, uh, certainly large retailers in this country are saying, well, forget it. We're not waiting for a a national policy anymore. Right. I I think they all feel pretty committed to the idea that uh, somewhat like what Mark Benioff said when we unveiled the mass challenge to uh, XPRIZE.org, which is that, look, uh, if everyone wore a mask and practiced social distancing, this thing could be suppressed in three weeks. What I think the real issue is going to be, Carl, when it comes to all this testing is, are, are the, is the NBA, are the NFL, are they using all our tests? How many tests are they going to have to do? Do you have to test during the halftime? What can we discover? And I do think that uh, every time we feel like we've ca- uh, caught up in mass, in, uh, mass or when we caught mass, now it's Haynes brand at Target, uh, or we feel like we've, we've caught up in testing, we find out that there's a new hotspot and we haven't done it. It is interesting to hear in that interview with, with Fox that the president is very against masks and he's very in favor of masks. That's a tremendous thing to be able to do within the span of 90 <laughs> seconds. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. Um, as far as the data over the weekend, Jim, I mean, there is there's enough kernels in there to argue that at least in some states, let's take Arizona, maybe we're going to see a plateau in cases. But others, certainly, if you listen to some of the commentary out of Miami, at least, and some areas of Texas, uh, there's concern that this could still spiral out of control. Right. I I am looking at the death rate. I think that the president's right. You have to consider the fact that the fatality rate is much, much lower than it was in New York. I I think we keep learning about the disease. I think that we didn't have it was a novel disease. I think that the president uh, took uh, Dr. Fauci to task. Uh, Dr. Fauci is an amazing man because he really does take a look and he keeps on, you know, and he keeps on ticking. Uh, I don't know why he stays because he made a mistake at the beginning of this saying that we don't need mask. We don't know whether that was motivated politically. We don't know that was because he wanted to be sure that all the healthcare workers had masks or they just got it completely wrong. We just don't know. But ever since then, I mean, he's tried to catch up as, as the doctors have caught up. And I don't think it's necessarily fair or right to single out a guy who was wrong, given the fact that all of the great medical practitioners that we talked to in New York were completely wrong. They didn't even know you're supposed to turn people over. They didn't know. They didn't also have remdesivir and they didn't have a, uh, they didn't have plasma. They didn't have a lot of blood oxygen ideas, and they didn't have steroids. So let's just forget about what happened and start thinking about the future. And the future is brighter than the past when it comes to deaths, and uh, it is uh, darker when it comes to testing and contact tracing out of the picture in our country, which is why both the New York Times and Washington Post, the president, please don't read the papers this weekend and today, they have just said 
it's a total disaster. And I'm trying to figure out what kind of disaster that our country has had that's ever as bad as this that's been self-inflicted, given the fact that Vietnam has no deaths, Japan has very few deaths, South Korea has so few deaths, uh, and uh, Taiwan, almost no deaths. Those are big, big countries. And uh, they're faring so much better. And it's not just mass. They do contact trace. Uh, but they're also disciplined. And we're unruly. Uh, this may go down as us being, uh, I'd say, a lesser developed country versus those countries. Yeah, well, well, certainly more focused on, on personal freedom. Right. <laughs> and, Live free and die. And, and a lack of trust way. in government. I think that there yeah. are people yeah, who no, fight overwhelmingly for the right to be able to live unobstructed by masks. I don't go anywhere with masks. This is a new Honeywell mask. I think it's quite stylish. Um, and it's got a filter inside, which I really like. Do I like Do I like wearing a mask around? No, because you see, I keep asking my wife why she's mad at me, which I just can't see her mouth. But I have to tell you, I, do, I like to live, not as interested in dying, my predilection. Yeah. I'd rather uh, compromise my free speech and my freedom in order to live. But you know what? Maybe I'm an anomaly if I lived in the South. Well, and the, of course, the other way to think about masks is it's not about protecting yourself. It's an instrument of kindness toward others, which gets into a whole other debate, Jim. Right, but the mask um, that we're comes trying to, to stimulus the contest is the opposite. The contest, which is for 15 to 24-year-olds, right. is to develop a mask that's both good for you and good for me. And that's when people will wear it. And that's the big mistake that the current mask makers, they're, sick, they're doing this reciprocal altruism joke. Only uh, Nico Timberg and study of certain birds has ever been able to demonstrate reciprocal altruism. <laughs> right. Kindness for others. The turns. And um, that's the T-E-R-N kind. Uh, Mark Meadows says uh, today uh, talks begin at the White House with Mnuchin McConnell. There's all kinds of questions here. Uh, is the White House going to insist on a payroll tax cut? Are the, do they really want to cut back funding for testing at CDC? What, right. What's on your mind when it comes to evaluating the progress this week? I think Larry Kudlow's in, in ascendance here. And when I work with Larry at CNBC, he loved the payroll tax cut. He always felt that that was the way to get things really get things going. I know there's a cap on payroll tax cuts, so those who make a ton of money would not benefit beyond a certain level. Uh, but I do think that uh, it's a small price to pay to get a deal through. And what we have, you say endlessly, Carl, you're right, end of July, the $600 goes away. 70% of the people are going to be making less than they were making. Right now, $600, 70% of the people are making more than they used to. Uh, 15 million workers involved in restaurants. Uh, The restaurants, if you have inside, it looks like that's going away. Bars going away. That industry going away, which is why the stay-at-home food stocks continue to go higher. To see a whole whole, uh, profession obliterated with the exception of fast food, Chipotle reports this week, is rather extraordinary and not talked about enough because many of the companies are not public. That's true. I mean, um, just the emphasis last week alone, Jim, uh, Chipotle hiring those 10,000 employees, uh, the comps out of Domino's. There's a report uh, that McDonald's comps might be positive this quarter. Uh, so certainly dining, as we know, it has changed and we hope we hope not for right. too long. Well, look, I, I had Domino's last night. It's pretty amazing. I had the by the way, the tomato pie, no cheese. It's really good with banana peppers. They're hotter than I thought. Don't get the wings. They're not good. And it's contactless. The guy comes. He's got this little pedestal. He puts it on your steps and you, you've paid him already. And the next, thing you know, you're you're eating your pizza. And I've got to tell you. 
the uh, companies that they're putting out of business with that are extraordinary because most of the pizzerias have a, an assemblage of tables and then also delivery. And delivery is third party. It takes a huge percentage. Here, Domino's owns the delivery force. They bring it right to you and it's safe. So I think there's a tremendous number of pizza parlors that are going to be wiped out. Now, will Secretary Mnuchin think about that? Yes. Will the president do it? I don't know. I mean, one guy, I don't know how much takeout the president's ever really done. I think not clear. When Chipotle reports, it's going to be a fabulous number. Why? Because they actually make as much money uh, in takeout as they do uh, in-store. And they're also pushing for some rent relief. Not that they need relief because they're doing well. But both Starbucks, which was upgraded today, and and, uh, and mm-hmm. Chipotle are able to get tremendous concessions from the Real Estate Investment Trust. Many of them not doing well. Simon Properties, by the way, SPG is a stock that trades at 4 a.m. And that's the, real, the cruise ships and SPG trade because they're the ones that people think could double if you get a real vaccine. Right, right. By the way, uh, Chipotle Wednesday night, and uh, you mentioned right. Starbucks. Wells does initiate overweight 92 targets. So, Jim, if the vaccine data this week is decent, if the stimulus talks are not a complete disaster, if the earnings roll in strong, can we can we make a decisive move above 32, 35? Absolutely. I don't even think it'll be a problem. Uh, we did come up last week in a strange way. Stephanie Ling talked last uh, an hour ago about how Abbott Labs is only up a little after a great quarter. Johnson Johnson only up a little. Bank stocks were, were down with the exception of Wells Fargo, but that had always been leading down. Uh, and BlackRock, which has had such a big move. So uh, it, it, it's difficult. Netflix wasn't that good. But I think we're, uh, this is a better week for earnings. Uh, IBM may be tough. New CEO doesn't necessarily have to blow numbers away. Uh, but I do think that later in the week, we've got some really fabulous companies that are going to do some good numbers, including Microsoft. Uh, I think Tesla can do whatever number at once, and the bulls will like it. Honeywell's going to be exceptional, I believe. Uh, Intel's going to be okay. ATT can get over 30. Uh, Coca-Cola is down too much but doesn't have snacks. I do not like United. Tech Center's some upside surprise. Microsoft, big upside surprise. Biogen, forget about it. Hershey, upside surprise. Uh, and uh, Slumbershade, downside surprise. <laughs> that was great the way you just worked your way across that uh, that table, Jim. You know, people are pointing pointing to Texan as an important one, too, oh, given their industrial base and semis. I think te- the reason why Texan's so important is because they have Apple. Now, last week, Taiwan Semi reported a great number. They have Apple, moved up Apple, and then we're always worried about midday bombs from the president just saying something negative about China. I mean, look, he likes to attack Fauci. That usually happens like a couple times a day. And then he likes to attack China. Yeah. That's usually once or twice a day. Um, I, 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 and then, I, you know, he tends to want to attack some Democrats and then praise Georgia, which is a real outlier. And then I guess, I don't know. That's about what he does as president right now. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Should, should we be, should we be should we be thrown if, in fact, the airlines uh, talk more about demand stalling out uh, the degree to which they can get people to take early retirement? Reuters has a, a piece today on Delta uh, saying that uh, they've told pilots they can avoid layoffs if enough agreed to to early uh, exits. It's incredible. Southwest had big, uh, uh, very big buyouts today. Uh, I think, look, I listen to what Phil LeBeau says. I hang on his every word. And his every word is, is that it's just a slower comeback. Again, these are vaccine stocks. You're looking at a list of vaccine stocks, five vaccines. I'm putting together a list of, you know, of five, this, the actual vaccine stocks, the ones that, will, that people feel will double if we get a vaccine. That is not wrong. I mean, if, but the problem is getting a credible vaccine, which would probably take three shots, including one being a booster, is not something that's going to happen overnight unless it's J&J, which actually has the capability to be able to put out 
2 billion vaccines within a very short period of time, which is kind of what we need. It's kind of like what happened in polio in this country. They beat it by putting out as many yep. vaccines as possible. That's certainly uh, the playbook we, we'd like to see, and we're still on the uh, watching the tape for any news out of Lancet on AstraZeneca. We will take a break. Uh, later on this morning, we'll talk to Chevron's Mike Worth, as we said, about the company buying Noble Energy, biggest piece of uh, M&A, certainly in the energy patch that we've had since the pandemic began. Along with news on Disney, Facebook, bunch of calls, some price increase targets at Twitter, Google, Facebook, Amazon. Back in a moment. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. It's time for Kramer's Mad Dash, watching a little Crown Castle today. What a great stock. This is this is a tower stock. Uh, they've all been terrific. American Tower before Jim Tinklett left to go to Lockheed Martin recently, uh, SBA. But my most my, the most exciting stock, non-vaccine stock in this market, may be Crown Castle. It's got a 3% yield almost. It's just been growing year for year. And Elliott Partners has challenged them to get rid of their fiber portion and be a pure tower play. You, I, I never want to say you can't lose doing something, but Holy cow, this is a great stock with a very good management in Jay Brown and a pressure from Elliott where the stock, which is at 168, would probably go to 200 if they agree with Elliott tomorrow. So I like this stock. You win if they don't agree with Elliott. But if they do go with Elliott, tack on 30 points right now. They do have a July 30th wow. conference call. Uh, it's a real win. You got to be in this. I know it's not interesting so- to a, a person like Royal Caribbean, but it's really good. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, Jim, if we were going to make a list of areas where you could be wrong, even though it might be short, what would it be? Well, I just think that what's going on in 5G and what's going on in towers and what's going on in uh, with T-Mobile, it's just so exciting. And the spend is so big. And it has to be because we want to regain, regain, of course, the crown of 5G. And we can do it because we have a lot of companies. That's why NVIDIA, other than the fact, of course, NVIDIA doing data, data center. We're going to hear something about 5G tomorrow with, with uh, Texas Instruments. It's a great secular growth trend that is being overlooked because of COVID. And I really think that people should be rethinking their whole approach on COVID and not just rolling the dice and buying Sorrento on tonight or AstraZeneca or uh, Novavax and try to be a little more diversified into something other than cruise ships, airlines and needles. There, I said it. Yeah, that has been your that has been your mantra, Jim. Be a little more creative. It sounds like it's what you've been telling people to do. Yeah, look, I love Norwegian cruise and I love Frank Del Rio. And I was going to take a February 22 cruise with my wife. But you know what? I mean, this is in the hands of the CDC. The president obviously wants cruises. The president wants everything. Right. I mean, the president wants you to be able to eat with a mask on. and It's got a hole in the mouth, I guess. I don't know. But I do know. I do know that there are other stocks besides things having to do with vaccines and and COVID. And why not own a couple? They're really good. (laughs) Certainly Noble and Chevron are too, Jim. We're going to talk to Mike Worth later on. 
uh, on his company's deal to acquire Noble for $5 billion in stock. We'll take a quick break here as we kick off, as we said, a week with all kinds of cross currents. Don't go anywhere. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Futures mix this morning. Uh, China was up 3% as they lift the equity cap on what insurance companies can hold and buy. A lot of things to watch this week. Earnings, vaccine news, and stimulus talks. Just three of them. We'll get the opening bell in about eight minutes. Mark Zuckerberg says uh, he is denying that he has a secret understanding, so to speak, with the president when it comes to Trump's Facebook page. He tells Axios, quote, I've heard the speculation, too, so let me be clear. There's no deal of any kind. Actually, the whole idea of a deal is pretty ridiculous. I do speak with the president from time to time, just like I spoke with our last president and political leaders around the world. Jimmy also points out we paid $5 billion in fines. Uh, we're under antitrust investigation from multiple agencies. Uh, uh, and uh, we might lose Section 230. Well, uh, yeah, I know. I mean, what I think is most interesting about, about the siege of Facebook is that Mark Zuckerberg would tell you this. They've made maybe hundreds of changes to try to appease people. And no matter what they do, they've not been able to do it. They've not been able to satisfy anyone, including Disney, which had been a giant advertiser. Uh, One of the things that Zuckerberg has refused to do, and I think that would change people's minds, is directly refute the president and say, I don't want anything to do with him. And I think that the stock would go up and he would get a lot more advertisers. Now, is it really that political? Yes, because uh, the other companies that are getting the ads, whether it be Twitter, oh, well, not Twitter, they're too complicated right now, but a Snap, which reports this week. I mean, they're getting a lot of ads because they're not political. Google, not political, though they were attacked by uh, Attorney General Barr last week in a completely bizarre and totally ill-advised speech. So Zuckerberg really doesn't know what to do. He's in a curious box. He has tried to make concession after concession after concession. He's met with people. It, it, it appeases no one. His appeasing strategy has to stop, and he has to just directly say, you know what, I've met with the president and I'm done with him. I just think that we ought to just stay away from politics. I want your advertising. I want to help minority businesses. I'm going to stake minority businesses with $500 million who own this. He has not done this uh, with uh, who do Instagram shops. I'm going to listen to what uh, what Shopify does. He has to do all these things. Uh, is he going to do them? I think he does it in all good time. $500 million to help minority mm. businesses would be the right thing to do, and he hasn't done it, and, uh, and I think that's far more important than feuding the president. Why isn't he committing the money to minority businesses? Why isn't he? I have no idea. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, reflecting sort of what Steve Case told Andrew this morning, that he will make changes, as you said, in good time. I was struck, though, in the Axios interview, he said uh, he went on to cite many disagreements with Trump, including immigration, climate change and, quote, his divisive and inflammatory rhetoric, something we haven't really heard from Zuck so far. I did notice, though, Jim, all this, you know, concern about the company. Uh, uh, Credit Suisse goes to 305 today well, from look, 258. Really, these big advertisers, they, they never really did that well with the consumer package 
goods. What happened last week, I did this, uh, geez, Kelly and I did this town hall with Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk, and he's talking about the greatest bargain in advertising history is to place ads for smaller businesses with Instagram. And it was rather incredible how much he felt it was such a boom. He just said it's down and out mispriced. And I know, I know, Zuck said those things on Axios against the president. But what he has to say is, listen, I'm done meeting with the president. Now he is done with the meeting, with President Full. I know, but you see, he doesn't understand that he that it sounds like equivocation coming from the man, and he can't equivocate. He has to repudiate. Equivocate, no. Repudiate, yes. And I do believe that uh, his small business uh, is just fantastic. And Gary Vee, who does, he's a really intelligent guy, and, and, and I've known him for many, many years, if he says to buy Instagram ads and that's the best uh, bargain, great return on equity, return on investment, that's what you got to do. Gary Vee is not political, and uh, Z's got to be not political. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll certainly watch the Disney element, as you said, the journal uh, saying that Disney has cut back their ad spend on Facebook and Instagram, right. the number one U.S. advertiser in the first half. Uh, so we'll, we'll see about that, Jim. We mentioned uh, some of these target increases. Snap, Goldman goes to 29, uh, Twitter to 43. I wonder whether or not you think that's something that pivots around Facebook or something else. You know, this is uh, Heath Terry just going... Uh, 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 it's astronomical, the number of price boosts he has. And the one I'm really focused on is he says that uh, Amazon, which we know traded poorly last week, that Amazon, he goes from 3000 to 3800 Amazon is what led the Nasdaq down last week. If Heath Turry has any staying power and Microsoft delivers on Wednesday, we're going to say that index is back. But it has to be back because right now people are buying cyclicals. They're buying Dow Jones stocks. And those are the ones that are most likely to have disappointments when they report allied J.P. Morgan last week. Yeah. Just to put last week into perspective on Amazon, Jim, down five in a row, 7%. Bespoke said there's only been four weeks in the last five years where Amazon has been down that much in a week. I mean, yesterday was uh, last week was significant, right? I did think it was very significant, particularly because there's so much of the country where you have to believe they don't want to go out. Uh, Amazon is the alternative to going to a store, and it's been fabulous. Uh, but people just feel the stocks had too big a move. It is ugly chart. It lost it. A lot of money was coming out of it. The money was going to the, the youth money, all going to vaccines and cruises. And the I think the big institutions are saying, uh-uh, it's uh, after Netflix disappointment, Amazon is next to disappoint, as if somehow they have anything in common, which they don't. And uh, Reed Hastings was mm-hmm. his usual circumspect, and that's what hurt the stock. Uh, Amazon, Heath Turry's uh, across-the-board price targets reminds me very much of 1990s, but I can't figure out whether it's 1998 or, or uh, late 1999. But it is, <laughs> either way, it is not what I want to see right now. Right, right. And by the way, Goldman, not the only one to go to 3,800. Jeffries did the same thing this morning. Uh, so you got two of them at street high. Right. Uh, Jim, we haven't talked uh, about Noble yet, but it is leading the S&P on the right. Chevron news. That and the Oxford vaccine showing some uh, some uh, positive. We're going to find out some more. Look, this this is an amazing deal by Mike Worth. Why? Because Mike Worth is considered to be the guy who has a vision, who's got, by the way, just absolutely terrific uh, balance sheet, which is not... Um, which is highly unusual in the patch. And remember, he dropped out on August 8th of 2019. He was in a bidding war with Occidental, 
uh, where Occidental ended up paying $55 billion for Anadarko. I'm going to say it. I think Noble's a veteran property in Anadarko, and, and uh, Mike's paying $5 billion. So he, he saved a, for a tenth, of the, a tenth of the amount of money that, that Occidental paid. He got a very, very fine act, uh, asset, and I'm glad we're talking to him. Mike Worth, the, the, literally, other than uh, the people, uh, Matt Gallagher over at Parsley Energy and maybe uh, uh, – no, let's just leave it at that right now. Uh, those are the two guys that have the great vision. And well, let's give Sheffield his do it, Pioneer. But otherwise, this group is bereft of people with, uh, with uh, any imagination. Mike's got big imagination. He's doing many good things. Uh, Jim, as we're talking, uh, some headline flashes on Oxford. Uh, antibody T-cell response, uh, good immune responses. Researcher says we're very encouraged by the progress um, it'll be interesting to see how much the market reacts to this. Yeah, you know, we were you know, we were looking for the headline, which just says it's all systems go. But we have to take that. I mean, we're in a situation where if we have T cell and we have any, we have any sort of thing that could make it so that w- there's hope between now and year end, you got to be positive. Uh, AstraZeneca, I think, is a company that no one thought was going to be in the running, but people misjudged how good Oxford was. Uh, and Oxford's doing a great job. Will this stock be up at the end of the day? I don't know. The day traders rule right now with this group. Uh, Sorrento's could be on mad money. So Sorrento is suddenly the one people want. Uh, Novavax offering a lot of stock at the market. Doesn't seem to matter. Novavax up constantly. Uh, Moderna, yes, cool off today. But uh, I think that the vaccine race is going to end up being multiple companies. Uh, and what will matter in the interim is what Dr. John Cohen has to say. Why? Because he's bioreference and they have got the NBA. I'm wondering if they don't have the, the NFL and can they make enough tests? It's having enough tests uh, that is really what's what is making it, having enough tests and the uh, desire not to wear the mask is what's making it so that we're uh, I don't know. We who else? Mexico, Brazil. That's the worst. <laughs> Brazil yeah. being well, we know the Bahamas won't let it. The Bahamas are no longer letting uh, Americans in. Although that was they're amazing letting Europeans tweet. and Canadians in. I couldn't believe yeah. that tweet. Yeah. And um, it's just terrible. Do we do we uh, do we read the AstraZeneca news through the context, through the framework of saying they're farther along than Oxford has 10,000 uh, participants and therefore they know more? No, I think we read the AstraZeneca news as being we, this is going to be one of them that's in the running. Uh, J&J was completely ignored last week because they chose not to pound their chest. Uh, Regeneron been completely quiet. AstraZeneca is in the mix, Carl, but being in the mix means you're not going to make as much money. Oxford has historically also not been uh, promotional. Why? Because they're a university. They don't trade. Um, but I do think that what we're after is uh, kind of a handicap. We're trying to figure out which ones. I think uh, Pfizer doing very well. Regeneron quiet. J&J was, is remarkable, but you're not going to get Alex Gorski saying we're in the lead. Uh, and you're also not going to get a, a Moderna situation where uh, everything's really good, and that's why they end up selling a ton of stock. I'm sorry to be so brutal about Moderna. But I've never seen anything like it. They should have canceled their cell plans, just called the SEC and say we're canceling. And they didn't do that. And it is so ill-advised that it is a travesty. Really? So you think even with all the explanations and all the justifications for the sales of the CMO, the CEO, you think it's just it lends itself to guilt by association? I've been in these situations before personally, and I know exactly what you have to do. 
no transactions, no buying, no selling. Any good attorney who's working with Moderna is shocked or would we, I think would be um, a shyster. You just simply don't do what they're doing. Uh, you can't see your plan. There's right. obviously so much news. I don't care how. You know, look, they're so rich. What the hell do they need to sell for? I mean, let's just be a little philosophic for a second. Why do they have to play this, this game? You know, they should come on and just say, you know, Jim, here's the reason why. Because I don't know it. And nobody else does either who's done sell plans. I've done sell plans. I've set up sell plans when I was at Goldman. I've had consistent knowledge about sell plans. And what Moderna has done is mm-hmm. completely off the reservation. Hmm. By the way, Jim, uh, Moderna is now paused uh, due to volatility. Oh. Uh, we'll watch that uh, intraday action as we're getting that news from Oxford. AstraZeneca, not good but enough. Before, I mean, it's not good enough. Yeah. Really quick, Jim, before we get to Pisani, uh, Nikola filing to issuing uh, to issue new share, 53 million new shares oh. related to warrants. Stocks w- was down 19 percent pre-market. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. what's incre- really incredible about these is they just get bid up and bid up and bid up until the insiders say, you know what, this is such a great opportunity. And they don't care about Robin Hood. They don't care who's buying. They know to sell in the same way that American Airlines knew to sell, that Norwegian crews need, need to sell. They're playing the game. They're looking at the day traders, taking things up, and they're just smacking them right in the face like a dead fish. And it stinks. Nicola. That's going to take you back to June 5th on uh, Nikola Price. Well, Let's get to Bob Pisani, see what else is moving. Morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, happy Monday, everybody. Uh, sort of a split open here. Uh, mega caps are sort of split on either side. Amazon is uh, up today, uh, but elsewhere, indeterminate open here. So tech is slightly up. Healthcare also slightly up. Uh, banks slipping again uh, after a week Friday and industrials also on the weak side. So where are we? The big story, I think, is the reopening faltering story. So when was peak reopening hopes? It was early June, and that was when we peaked in the market. June 8th was the the last peak, 32.32. And look here, this is the last few months. We're basically sideways since June 8th uh, as we try to figure out how serious is the reclosing story versus the reopening story. And if you see, though, the way the market acts, the work from home beneficiaries since June 8th have done much better than everything else here. They're, and the usual names, your DocuSigns, Peloton, Zoom Video, Amazon, all notably up. This is since June 8th, the last peak in the market. And the reopening plays, you know all of them, the airlines, the cruise lines and Live Nation and the companies that we put up every day. Um, those companies have underperformed. You put up the reopening sectors and you can see they're notably underperforming uh, since June 8th here. So there's the story. It's the reopening faltering uh, that's sort of moving the market. The people hoping the earnings will move the markets. I'm not so sure about that, given that we're not really getting any signs there's going to be any more guidance than we had in the last quarter. Remember, 40 percent declined to provide any kind of guidance right now. So we're set for 44 percent decline in earnings. We've got about 9 percent reporting, 20 percent coming out. Largest year over year decline since 2008. What I think is alarming is the profit margin declines here. For example, industrials are like 1% profit margins. They normally have 9% profit margins. That's terrible. That's why industrials are underperforming. And yet technology, which is tremendous profit margins, like 20% normal profit margins, they've only got 19. That's amazing. And this is one of the reasons tech's holding up so well, because the margins are holding up uh, at the same time. 
Finally, I just want to note a really big potential IPO out there, and that's Ant Financial, the biggest fintech play of all time here. Uh, not only is it the listing in Hong Kong and over uh, in mainland China, but it's not listing in the U.S. That's one story. The second story is it's really big. They're talking north of 20 billion. We don't know how much, but Saudi Aramco was the biggest of all time at 25 billion. Alibaba was second. If you get to 22 billion, this could be the second or third biggest IPO of all time. And Carl, of course, that story is they're not listing in the United States. And by itself, that's notable. Guys, back to you. All right, Bob. Thanks. Uh, Bob Pisani. When we come back, as we said, the CEO of Chevron, Mike Worth, is going to be with us on his company's $5 billion all-stock deal to acquire Noble Energy, currently leading the S&P. Don't go anywhere. A lot of news headed our way this week, but a couple things on the front burner. Chevron buying Noble Energy for $5 billion in stock. We'll talk to Mike Worth in a moment. And we are processing this news out of the Oxford study on AstraZeneca's potential vaccine candidate. Back in a minute. Getting some vaccine news to start the week as Lancet weighs in on AstraZeneca's COVID-19 candidate. Let's get to Meg Terrell. Meg? Hi, Carl. Well, highly anticipated results coming from Oxford University, which has partnered with AstraZeneca. Still digging through the details as they literally just came in, uh, but essentially showing that the vaccine induced an immune response uh, in these participants. This is the phase one, two trial run in more than a thousand participants in the UK. Uh, one of the first human studies um, of this vaccine. And they looked at both giving one dose and two doses of the vaccine. And they did find that after giving two doses, the immune response was stronger uh, based on how they measured the general uh, generation of these antibodies from the vaccine. They found um, that all of them, all of the participants generated antibodies uh, with the first dose with one way of measuring, but not with another way of measuring. But with the second dose, all of them did so. Um, you're seeing uh, AstraZeneca stock down more than 2% now on these news. These were highly anticipated uh, data with very positive sort of preambles last week coming out suggesting they were very strong. So as people are parsing through the data here, uh, we will get a read on whether this matches up with extremely high expectations. But in Importantly, the researchers also reporting this generally appeared to be safe. They did note that about 70% of participants reported fatigue and headache uh, and taking paracetamol uh, tended to help with any of the effects of getting uh, the shot, guys. But still reading through these data, they do say this generated an immune response. And of course, they're taking this into a much larger set of phase three efficacy trials to really get a read on whether this will be protective. Jim? Mega fatigue, headache. I mean, one of the things I most worry about is there's so many people who won't wear a mask. How about people who say, listen, I don't need the vaccine. Let me ask you something. I've got Sorrento on tonight. Uh, day traders have become completely enamored of Novavax. Uh, these are not necessarily in the same league, say, as, uh, let's say, Pfizer and J&J, are they? No, Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson are huge companies that have been around for decades. So they are much more proven uh, in terms of the work that they do. 
so, you know, uh, the younger companies, some of them like Novavax have government support, but the track records are obviously different. And everybody, of course, should be looking at that as they're looking into these companies, too. Thank you, Meg. I, thought, I, I don't know. I just thought a dose of common sense might be fun there. Congratulations to all the great reporting you're doing. You're the best. Thank you. All right, let's go to the oil patch. Chevron announces agreed to buy Noble Energy in a $5 billion all-stock deal. Joining us now first on CNBC, Mike Worth, CEO of Chevron. Mike, congratulations on this great deal. Hey, thanks, Jim. Good morning, and it's good to see you. All right. So last year, uh, actually last month, last year, August and July, you were in a bidding war with uh, Occidental over Anadarko. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, paid, uh, Anadarko paid, uh, got $55 billion from Occidental. I actually like the assets of Noble a lot more that you got for $5 billion. Uh, think that's wrong? Well, Jim, that, you know, that was a very different time. And uh, this, is, uh, this is a great deal that really builds on Chevron strengths. Three key things. Uh, number one, these are high-quality assets at a very fair price. Uh, it's a good deal for the shareholders of both companies. And I do think it shows why we're a little different than, than many others in, in our sector. So uh, we like this deal very much. Uh, Noble's a very fine company, and we're excited about the combination. I love the combination of Permian. I think that that's great. I also like the mystery masses. But what most excites me that wasn't really talked about enough on the call was Leviathan. And I was thinking that now that you're able to get, you have a pipe, a Leviathan, largest field, some people say largest field in the world off the Mediterranean, uh, with Delic, there's an Israel field. But since they just opened that pipe from Egypt, what do you think the odds are that maybe you get a pipe from Egypt uh, through even, say, Turkey, because it's no longer ideologically opposed. It's not ideologically opposed to Egypt as it is to Israel. And then right to Germany and put an end to uh, the dominance of, of Russian uh, natural gas. Well, the eastern Mediterranean has proven to be a very prolific hydrocarbon basin. And uh, Leviathan is one of a number of discoveries there. And Noble Energy has done a, a fantastic job in building out this uh, understanding of the regional geology. The uh, gas currently goes into multiple countries, Israel, Jordan, Egypt, and certainly uh, there are uh, plans and efforts underway to try to build pipeline access into European markets. The world is moving towards a larger mix for gas, for power generation as uh, uh, coal-based generation comes down. And this is a a low-cost, high-quality, large-scale resource that will help meet those needs as, uh, as the power system in that region of the world continues to transition to a greater gas base. So we think that's uh, very exciting for the future, and this is a resource that has decades' worth of uh, running room. Now, uh, ever since 1999, I know Israel's tried to get things going there, but actually Noble has never had enough capital to be able to explore and, I think, to, to work closely with the, in the Middle East uh, with, with all parts of the different natural gas world. And I'm wondering whether Noble didn't feel like, you know what, we didn't have enough of balance sheet to be able to explore and exploit uh, Eastern Mediterranean, but we also didn't have balance sheet to be able to explore the Permian. Mike, they were shutting down, implementing voluntary curtailments of some of their best properties as recently as May and June. These can open uh, instantly once you guys uh, get together, right? Well, I think you're putting your finger on why this is a good deal for both shareholders. Uh, the Eastern Med assets really are a better fit for a larger company with experience and, uh, and exposure to multiple uh, operating arenas around the world. And so there's a portfolio diversification play there. We've got a very large and successful position in the Permian. Uh, Noble's position is nice but smaller, so the, the efficiencies of scale will work there. 
And uh, they have a nice position in Colorado as well. Their shareholders do get access to a stronger balance sheet, uh, a stronger dividend. And, uh, and I think that's good uh, for their shareholders. This is an accretive deal uh, on earnings. Uh, it's accretive on free cash flow. It's accretive on returns. And really creates a stronger company with resilience to the downside and continued leverage to the upside. So we think uh, Noble's shareholders uh, benefit from that, and we certainly believe that Chevron's shareholders do. Like Noble Midstream has gotten very little credit for all of the great uh, properties that it has within it, including the Delaware Basin. Also, Midstream's Green River Develco is really good, the Gunnison River Delco, all, everything out of Colorado. What are you going to do with an asset that, frankly, has uh, people hate right now? The mass limited partnerships do, if uh, they are well capitalized, and certainly Chevron will make it, uh, make it so, have great value. And yet I look at this property and I think it's given no value at the valuation of uh, Noble at 10. Well, it's tightly integrated to, uh, to Noble's operations in Colorado, in Texas. And a lot of it is field gathering and field processing capability. And then there are longer haul uh, pipelines that give you access uh, to different market centers. So we're, uh, we're excited to bring that in along with the other assets. And we think it's a very nice integrated package company with very talented people, a culture that's very compatible with ours. It's the right time for a deal like this. And, uh, and the midstream is part of uh, what we think is a very attractive overall combination for the two companies. Mike, would you do this deal if you didn't believe that ultimately oil can t- uh, take out 40 and go higher? Well, we're focused on long-term value creation. And so uh, I expect choppiness in near-term commodity markets. Uh, the trajectory of this pandemic continues to be uncertain. The uh, vi- vaccine news this morning is, uh, is encouraging. But I think we have to be prepared for an economy that uh, uh, experiences some ups and downs. Uh, long term, uh, we think that, uh, that, that prices do head back as uh, uh, you know, the global economy grows, the population grows, the middle class grows. But this isn't predicated on a high oil price. We test transactions like this at a range of prices, and we really stress test them at relatively low prices to be sure that we understand the risks involved and that we don't head into a transaction that is unduly exposed uh, to a down cycle. We know down cycles will occur. We just don't know when. So uh, this is a good deal. Even in a low price environment, it looks even better if uh, if prices uh, recover. Mike, you're you're talking cycle. Uh, Later this week, uh, Elon Musk, Tesla reports. There are a lot of talk about the idea that he has a battery that could last 10, 15 hours. Uh, that basically would obviate the need for gas stations if he takes over the world. Now, look, I think that there are people who have a more rational view and know he can't take over the world. But are you prepared for batteries that last much longer, like the Honeywell nine hour battery, like something that must delivers that will make it so that oil demand drops radically? Well, these battery applications have uh certain uh, markets that they, they work pretty well in. And, uh, and then there are other markets where it's much more difficult. And light-duty uh, vehicle transportation is one where we have seen electric uh, batteries make, uh, make an impact and uh, begin to penetrate. Our projections expect a significant penetration of electric vehicles over the next couple of decades in light-duty transportation. Uh, there's a lot more work still to be done on heavy-duty transportation, long-haul transport, industrial applications, shipping, aviation, petrochemicals. So our, right. our commodities uh, go into a variety of markets, uh, many of which really have not proven to be suited to today's battery technologies. And we're working on technologies that can help address 
uh, the emissions uh, concerns across the wide range of, of applications of our products. And so uh, the world needs all of this. I think technology right. is, uh, is going to be the answer to the concerns on greenhouse gases, and we're, we're working alongside many others to, uh, to try to find those solutions. Well, congratulate uh, you on the deal, and I know that you are doing more alternative energy than almost every other oil company. Of course, you got the best balance sheet. This is a deal that I think you, uh, let's say you did much better on than if you bought something else last year. Great to talk to you, Mike. Uh, back to you, Carl. All right, Jim. Thanks. A uh, bit of a split market, some chop to start the week. Dow's done 150 as we see to travel, airlines, retail week. But NASDAQ up uh, largely due to Amazon, up 3.5%. We're back in a minute. AstraZeneca shares now down 4%, Jim, and you got Sorrento tonight. Yeah, uh, day traders, day traders will take note. Already 20 million shares have traded Sorrento since we have them on tonight. And I think it's just a paradise for people. It's a good stonk for those who really uh, don't know anything. And uh, we also have, uh, by, by the way, Dr. John Cohen. He is a man who knows a lot. Bioreference is in charge of the testing for the NBA. So you've got, uh, that's Opco owns them. Uh, there's the stock that the day traders are taking up furiously. That actually may make sense. Games just a couple days away, right? Jim? I know, very exciting. Mark Cuban, very excited. There, they've got them all in a. They've got them all in a bubble. It's kind of uh, like if we were on Mars. <laughs> That's right. Uh, we can't wait. Uh, Jim, good hour. We'll see Thank you later. You. See you tonight. Mad Money, of course, six p.m. Eastern time. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.